And we're live. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again by Electrex Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? Good. Awesome. So it's early in the morning, and we are excited to talk electric vehicles, mostly two-wheeled vehicles. We've got some interesting stories this week. We've got a new electric trike that gets a big battery update. We're learning about an electric bicycle and scooter sharing service called Bolt that basically bolted from U.S. cities and left all of their rideables just strewn around the streets. Uh, We're going to talk about the new climate bill and how it impacts electric bikes or maybe how it doesn't impact them. We've also got some new interesting uh, electric bike and electric motorcycle launches. Some of them are from companies like New, Can-Am, and even Kawasaki. And then we're going to close it off with a test of a 37-mile-per-hour electric surfboard. So a variety of interesting topics today, I think. Where are we going to start, Seth? All right. The Admotor M340 electric tricycle gets a big battery update for long and stable cruising. Cool. So this is one of the most interesting electric tricycles I've seen. And you wouldn't think of electric tricycles as being an interesting e-bike category, but this one is fat tired. It's got huge cargo storage options, and it actually looks like something that I would want to be seen riding around, not like a mobility scooter kind of thing. And so the uh, M340 from AdMotor just got updated. It used to have a, the original AdMotor electronic system that they use for years and years, but now it's got their new EB 2.0 system. And the biggest difference is, is basically a, a new larger battery. It's a 48 volt and 20 amp hour battery. But there are some other differences as well. It includes new display, new controller, um, new sensors. So, you know, it's a whole new e-bike system, but really the, the centerpiece is this big, big battery. And uh, when you're talking about an electric tricycle, you want a big battery because there's just a lot of resistance there. In this case, we're talking about fat tires as well. So we've got, uh, I believe it's a 24 inch up front and then 20 inches in the rear. So you've got three fat tires, a lot of rubber on the ground. And these things are not the most efficient type of electric bicycles out there. So it's, it's good to see them increasing the battery there. They haven't listed what the new range will be. We've actually tested another bike from uh, AdMotor that has the same battery and they claim a range up to 125 miles, but that's obviously in you know level one pedal assist, something like five watt hours per mile, which is about the minimum you can do when you're pedaling pretty hard. So I don't think this is going to get anywhere near there. But you know if you could get 35, 40 miles out of a uh, electric fat tire trike, that would be a uh, a pretty good amount of range. And in this case, um, if you guys check out the take that I wrote at the end of this article. I think that this would be one of the coolest e-bikes to add solar to because I want to add like a, a canopy to it, you know, and uh, put three or four hundred watt solar panels on top. Three to four hundred watts of solar power would make this thing almost infinite range if you're using pedal assist. And I think this would be like the perfect sort of do-it-yourself tuk-tuk platform if you're going to make it into like a, uh, you know, sort of a, a three-wheeled um, Eastern style get around pedicab vehicle. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, so I've never um, reviewed Ad Motor. I've seen them at like bike shows and stuff, and I think I've probably ridden one at at a bike show or, or two. Um, what kind of so that that motor up front is that like a seven fifty uh, watt? Nominal? Yeah, exactly. And and is there a throttle on this thing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't okay. want to be stuck doing only pedal assist. <laughs> right. Yeah. For sure. Um, so I'm always, when I see trikes, I'm always, I always think, I know it's probably inappropriate, but I always think of older 
older folks who are kind of losing their balance a little bit. Um, I know there was this guy riding around um, Skip Gates, riding around um, Martha's Vineyard in a trike. Uh, he's this old uh, Harvard professor. And it just like sticks in my mind that like old, old dudes who love riding bikes grab, grab these things. But also, uh, as you point out, um, these are great for like heavy cargo stuff. Um, what does it have like a weight rating? How much can you put on the, on the back two tires there? Yeah. So it said, uh, 350 pounds plus 100 pounds of cargo. So up to 450 pounds on this thing Total. Which seems, yeah, that's, that's quite high. Like yeah. I hope those brakes are up to it. It does have hydraulic brakes, so that's good. Okay. And that's, that's what it's rated for. So theoretically you could even go higher. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, people load these down. I know in right. Tel Aviv, uh, these types of uh, tricycles are really popular with parents because they'll put like three kids on the back. Uh, you see a lot that have um, like a bench on the back, almost like a pedicab. And uh, the other day I saw there was a dad with three kids on the back and then one kid in the front on one of those like baby carriers that mount behind the handlebars. So you oh, have that, five people. That's like a Southeast Asia kind of limousine. Um, yeah, I mean... They're like, I mean, they're just so common as like kind of SUV replacements because especially in a city, if you don't have to go that far to drop your kids at school, maybe it's a mile away and you're yeah. going through like, you know, city streets, bike lanes. It's really like a, a perfect cargo slash, um, you know, carpool type vehicle. Mm -hmm. And if you have a ton of weight on the back and, and the, the power is coming from the front, do you lose traction at all? Like, is that something to be worried about or is it just like, you know, it works out fine. There's not that much torque. Yeah, I mean, that's the downside of front motors always is that you, you definitely have some traction issues. The nice thing about the trike, though, is if you ever have your front tire spin out, you don't like fall over. You just kind of take a little rubber off and then you eventually get traction again. And and when you ride it, like, I don't know if you mentioned in the post that you had a, a trike way back. Do you have problems turning? Because I always feel like I'm going to tip over. Uh, what yeah. trikes is it you have to like think it's it's kind of like having training wheels on your bike like yeah it, it's like um it, it's different. a weird feeling because I, I don't know if you've ever seen like sidecar racing right. where they'll like lean way far out when they make uh you know one turn and right. so that's kind of the way that i would ride it because you definitely depending how high your seat is you know you have a very high center gravity and you feel a little tippy so mm -hmm. um you know, lots of times in the turns, I'll like lean way over to one side or the other if I want to keep my speed up in the turn. Otherwise, you got to take it pretty slow. But if you ride a tricycle often, you get pretty used to, to doing that. And also, like if you go up on two wheels, it just feels kind of normal. Like you can just take a turn like that once you get used to it. It looks a little crazy, but, yeah, you know, you can, you can lift one wheel up. Yeah, I want to get my uh, mother-in-law in, -law in uh, Florida into one of these. One, one of these days, we'll, we'll find a good one for her. I like yeah, the, the, uh, the downside. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I like the, the seat back on this as well. Like, it seems more uh, casual. Like, if you have yeah, a it looks, yeah, I mean, that's it looks super comfortable. They're just, these things are expensive. This one's like 3000 bucks, and Ad right. Motor is known as being like a fairly reasonably priced company. So it's, it's a bummer these are so expensive. But, um, you know, I do think that, especially for the older group, but even like you see in their marketing, like they've got all these young people on these things, like they're trying to pitch it for everybody. Right. Cool. Uh, love to see that one. All right, moving on. 
after Bolt bolted from five US City, who gets to take its abandoned electric bikes? So this is kind of like a a sad story, I guess, because Bolt, um, not to be confused with the European Bolt, this is Bolt Mobility in the US, is a uh, electric bike and scooter rental company, or I guess I should say was, because they've since closed operations. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't really do it in any organized fashion. So when they closed up shop, they just sort of overnight closed everything. They didn't tell a lot of these cities that they were closing, and they didn't pick up their e-bikes or their e-scooters. So in the beginning, it was um, five cities across the U.S., and now it's many more that were basically left with hundreds of these electric bikes and electric scooters just on their streets. And there's you know no one to pick them up. There's no one to deal with them. They're all locked because they use the uh, software and the app from Bolt to you know rent them. So it's not like you can just take these and ride away and make it your your personal e-bike. So there's all these cities left with this pile of what's unfortunately kind of like e-waste at this point because they can't really be used. And so we've heard that the the company that is uh, the manufacturer, the OEM for these e-bikes is trying to work with cities to get them unlocked and either incorporate them into their own local uh, electric bike share programs or to do something with them. Because, I mean, you're literally left with sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars of hardware and what are otherwise perfectly functional uh, personal electric vehicles that are just sitting there on streets and getting, you know, vandalized, getting stolen or just, you know, knocked over and causing a nuisance for for people walking around sidewalks. So it's a, a weird sort of cautionary tale of what can happen when a company just goes under like this. Yeah, you know, it's like, I kind of kind of wish it was like a free for all like post Soviet Russia, where, you know, just gra- like, it, you know, at midnight on December 31st, like, just grab the nearest one and it's yours, like everything unlocks. Maybe they should like, <laughs> you know, cities should put that into their contract. Like, all right, you want to come put your bikes in our city, if you disappear, and if your software stops working, the bikes open up and you know, it's a free for all. Probably not a yeah. good uh, uh, way to do it. I'm sure a lot of people would just go around and and round up hundreds of them. But you know, it's better than the alternative. Yeah, I wonder if there could be some sort of backdoor that is um, regulated into these. So if a company just you know up and leaves, that cities can actually reclaim these things and make them useful, as opposed to sort of this just um, detritus of e-bikes that are left sitting around now. I mean, they seem like really cool bikes, like, uh, you know, and they, I mean, from these pictures, I don't know what they're, you know, what it looks like on the ground, but they look like they're in pretty good shape. Um, they have nice baskets, like they, they, they could work out pretty well. I know, uh, Burlington was one of the cities that they were in. Um, I think, you know, Vermont loves e-bikes, so I'm sure there's enough people to pick them up. Yeah. I mean, I'm also just amazed that the company didn't have an exit strategy. Like, I mean, it's not like you find out overnight that you're shutting down shop, like the writing's on the wall for a little while. And so I'm just amazed that it ended this way. I mean, those things usually end up like, hey, we're trying to get more funding. We're trying to get more funding. And then somebody's like, uh, no, we're not going to pay you. And then they're like, oh, crap, we're done. And then it's kind of like a, a grab for like the leftover, you know, what's left and whatever i don't know i don't know how this one ended up but yeah i mean that does sound kind of like when boosted ended that it was like you know funding fell through and then the next day they were laying people off and you know within a few days it was all over yeah that was sad um unfortunately uh happens a lot uh so we 
like what's the current status they're just sitting there rusting on uh in the these uh bike bike uh storage areas or pretty much on a like city by city basis the oem is trying to work with cities to get them unlocked you know they obviously have access to the the software because they built it you know bolt right. mobility isn't designing their own app that sort of thing um or at least not the you know uh, structure behind it so um the the company's trying to work with with these cities so they can take them back over after bolt left them but uh, it's it's sort of on a um, you know, city by city basis, because they have to figure out what to do with them. Cities have to decide, you know, are they going to run their own private bike share? Are they going to mm. try to bring in another operator and just, you know, give them the bikes? Are they going to sell them at auction? So each case is, is different and each city is sort of left with this problem to solve. That's interesting. Um, I'm really surprised some other operator didn't just, you know, buy them up. Um, in Germany, for instance, you'll see a bunch of Lime bikes which are red, which is like, you know, Lime is a green uh, logo and green company. But um, they bought up a bunch of, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, what were the red ones? I think those were um, Jump. Yeah, Jump bikes, which I think are owned by Uber. So they just slap a couple of green stickers on there and now they're, now they're uh, Lime bikes. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, all right, moving on. Oh, this is disappointing. The new climate bill abandoned the type of electric vehicle that can make the biggest difference. And we know what that is. Yeah. And this one, it was bittersweet because out of nowhere, it's like we got a climate victory, right? Like all of a sudden, Joe Manchin gets on board. The Inflation Reduction Act looks like it's going to become law, um, you know, which is a win for for almost everybody. But one of the um, original hallmarks of the uh, Build Back Better Act was the electric bike tax incentive, which went through a number of changes. I think in its final iteration, it was something like up to $900 that you could get back on an e-bike purchase if the e-bike was under, I think, $4,000. And so that was you know, amazing for consumers because it meant that you could save a significant chunk, especially on some of these more expensive bikes. Like they were looking at a turn, which is you know not a cheap bike. A lot of these e-bikes cost three, dollars $4,000, but they're designed to be car replacers. And so for um, you know, a U.S. citizen that's thinking, hey, you know, I'd really like to get an e-bike to leave my car in the garage more often, but they're a bit expensive. That would have been a huge deal. And uh, unfortunately, when the Inflation Reduction Act was negotiated, one of the things that got dropped was that um, uh, incentive for buying electric bikes. And so there's a little bit of infrastructure in the bill still that, you know, bike lanes, that sort of thing that can be used for for cycling, but um, mostly all of the electric bicycle specific incentives are gone. And that's just, it seems like such a huge oversight on our part because electric bikes, I mean, they're, they're, they don't get the credit that they're due for being such transformative electric vehicles. You know, electric cars are seen as, you know, the shiny, um, almost, you know, considered low hanging fruit, but even lower hanging are these two wheeled electric vehicles that you can produce, you know, with, like 2% of the energy that goes into making electric vehicle. They use significantly less energy during consumption, even uh, in the end of their life cycle, when, you know, you're recycling them, they take so much less energy than electric car. So across the board, they're just such a huge improvement, especially in cities, you know, in suburbs, the the difference isn't as high. And in rural areas, of course, it's hard to ride an e-bike down the highway, but for cities, especially, it just makes so much sense to have these lighter, more efficient, smaller electric vehicles. And it's, 
it's just such a shame that they were, um, you know, stripped out of the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, it's such a weird thing to take out, too, because, you know, obviously, e-bikes are an order of magnitude, like 10 times less in weight and size and cost. You know, like a, a $2,000 e-bike, $20,000 car, it's even usually less than 10%. Um, and like you said, the, you know, the, the, the amount of waste, the, the amount of materials. Unfortunately, um, a lot of e-bikes are not made in the U.S., and it seemed like this bill was really focused on uh, American-made uh, products. Um, you know, a lot of the cars that weren't made in the U.S. are now off the... Uh, off the uh, rebate list. So, you know, but they, you know, like zero motorcycles, you know, we didn't talk about motorcycles, but motorcycles should have also kind of stayed in obviously Harley um, or Livewire could have been part of it. Just like really disappointing. Um, but that doesn't mean uh, good things aren't going to happen. Uh, as you said, the infrastructure bill or sorry, the, uh, you know, uh, electric infrastructure is going to be helped by this. I mean, they're going to onshore, I guess, a lot of uh, battery manufacturing. Perhaps, uh, you know, we get a domestic uh, supply chain uh, for uh, electric, you know, packs. And, you know, perhaps that, you know, gets us closer to domestically manufactured uh, e-bikes. So, you know, there's going to be some secondary effects here, but, you know, it's, it's still just super disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, you know, on the one hand, I want to, you know, cheer that we actually got something passed, right? Like there Anything, are huge yeah. benefits, but, you know, there's such an important piece of it didn't didn't make it into the end. And it's, I mean, I think it just speaks to like cycling and electric bikes in general, that they're just so overlooked, you know, like uh, yeah. they just, they aren't seen for, for what they are. And I don't know, like, I just don't know how to change that. Like we advocate it for it all the time and it's like you know we got like Pete Buttigieg on our side but like how can we get more more visibility how can we make you know legislators understand the power yeah I mean I guess the good news is like there are some localities Vermont's got an e-bike uh rebate um you know the the good news is that e-bikes are still very inexpensive uh compared to a car um they're super inexpensive to own as well you don't need registration insurance uh stuff like that so you know, that's, that saves a ton of money and they're, you know, there's still tons of fun. Uh, they're still growing like crazy. You know, we know how, uh, we've kind of hit an inflection point in Europe where they're selling like more e-bikes than cars, uh, at some point in the U S we'll probably hit the same thing. So it's not all, it's not all gloomy. Uh, we still have some <laughs> things to look forward to here. That, that is important to remember. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll move on, uh, new or new. Launches futuristic-looking electric moped that's half e-bike, half e-motorcycle. So this is an, an interesting one because it looks so much more impressive than, than it really is. I mean, it's a really cool design, and it looks like a straight-up electric motorcycle. But if you take a peek just in front of, or I guess sort of behind where the, the swing arm pivot is, there are a pair of bicycle pedals there. And that means this is technically an electric bicycle class vehicle, oh even God. though it looks like a like a straight-up motorcycle, right? I mean... Yeah, this is it looks like something you'd see going 50 miles an hour down the road. And the ironic thing is that the speed limit is actually 25 kilometers per hour, which oh. makes it 15 miles per hour. Right. Like <laughs> it's a bit uh, underpowered here. Now, the reason for that 
is that it's designed to fit into um, China's electric bicycle laws. So because this is classified as an electric bicycle, you don't need you know license, insurance, et cetera. All the regulations are gone. And so um, this is being debuted first for the Chinese market. And there, these types of moped style electric bikes are very common for that exact reason, that they're basically super cheap because you don't have to pay for anything after you buy it. Even the electricity is like, you know, pennies a month kind of thing. And so it's a really neat design that I think they designed it for sort of expanding the power in international markets. But in the meantime, it is like so neutered that it's almost silly how slow this thing goes, despite looking like it should be going, you know, five times the speed. The uh, the saving grace here is that uh, New has confirmed to Electric that they are going to be bringing this to international markets. They don't have a date yet, but um, it will be faster. Probably it'll still top out at 45 kilometers per hour, making that 28 miles per hour. So it fits um, either in Europe, the uh, speed pedelec laws or in the US class three e-bike laws, which again, it's the same sort of situation is that they're trying to squeeze this in under e-bike laws instead of making it a fully fledged motorcycle. But uh, that also means that it can be, you know, lower cost. I think in China, it's something like $1,200, maybe $1,100. So, you know, very affordable, despite looking like a, a really sort of badass type of electric, uh, light electric motorcycle. Yeah. So what is like, what is in that big square area? Is that just like an, an empty space? Or is that if that's all battery, is the range like a thousand miles? Yeah, so it's um, it is a removable battery. It seems like there's a lot more space than needs to be there. I wonder yeah. if they're going to have storage or something because I mean, it looks like it should be three, four kilowatt hours, and it's certainly not going to be that large for an electric bicycle. So I imagine that they'll go with some type of storage box there. Otherwise, it's it's kind of just wasted space. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you could kind of just have like. I mean, you know, you think about like the Super 73 type bikes, like that whole area is just air. So like the fact that this is all, um, I mean, it, they could also put a, you know, multiple hundred mile battery in there as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Um, I also wonder though, if this is like the moment uh, where uh, regulators see something like this and they're like, all right, we got to regulate these more or differently because just because you put pedals on a elephant it's not a e-bike you know like <laughs> it's it reminds me of that uh jerry seinfeld bit where he's like cookie crisp ruined it for all the other cereals like we we had basically candy in a box and everybody was fine with it and then cookie crisp came out and it was like hey it's cookies and everybody <laughs> everybody was like oh cereal's not good for you anymore like uh so i wonder if this is like that moment where it's like, okay, you got to stop putting pedals on bikes, uh, pedals on motorcycles and calling them bikes. So I yeah. don't know. It, it could be though. I mean, the fact that they're really sticking to what seems like a legitimate legal speed could be the saving grace. Cause some right. of these sort of like quasi motorcycles, you know, if you look at like super 73 and stuff, they can get to over 30 miles an hour. And I'm thinking of things more like the uh, Onyx RCR and, um, Uh, (laughs) you know, those things that, or the uh, Delfast ones that go like legitimately at 40, 50 miles per hour. Yeah. So those are like, I mean, that's the pedals on an elephant analogy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in this one also, because it's new, I mean, it's the largest um, uh, smart scooter company in China. Like, you know, they, they play by the rules and they follow the local laws. And so, 
these things aren't going to be like a dull fest where it, it comes with like a 15 mile an hour limit and you cut one wire and it goes 50 miles an hour. You know, these right. are going to be um, legit, you know, type approved when they get to the U.S. They'll be, um, you know, approved for U.S. Uh, import laws. So it's it's going to be all, you know, to the book um, street legal in that sense. So in, in that way, I think it might not raise too many eyebrows. It'll certainly look funny, like if you take this in the bike lane. Yeah, there's going to be people who just look at this thing and are like, holy crap, what are you doing on the bike lane with this thing? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's funny because in some places, not only are, are mopeds legal in bike lanes, but, you know, things like uh, uh, Vespas or something are, are legal under a certain um, engine displacement. When I was in Boston, I could legally ride that Gen Z scooter in the bike lanes because it was classed as like an under 50cc uh, electric moped or, or under 50 cc equivalent and oh, people wow. give me dirty looks and I wouldn't do it very often. Right. It's like if there was just stopped traffic and the bike lane was the way around, I'd do it when there weren't other cyclists near me and it was totally legal, but like you just felt wrong doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess people would probably give you some space. Like, uh, they, you know, you look like you're on a, in a car, so, or on a, in a motorcycle. So people give you different space depending on what kind of bike you, you have. And, this certainly looks like a motorcycle, <laughs> even though you're going 120 miles per hour. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Let's move sure. on. Uh, oop, I think I skipped ahead too far ahead. Hold on. Uh, Can-Am unveils two new electric motorcycles set to reclaim the brand's historic glory. Yeah, so the um, it's funny because the brand's historic glory is kind of before my time. Um, it's more like early 80s, and I'm from the very late 80s. So right. I even had to do a, a, a bit of research on, on Can-Am to sort of understand. But um, I mean, there was a time when Can-Am was the name in two-wheelers, both you know on the track and on the trails. You know, They were scooping up championships left and right, and it was really their heyday. And um, the brand largely closed, or at least in you know, two-wheeled motorcycles in the late 80s. Since we've got, you know, like the, the Can-Am Spider and the, the three-wheelers that are kind of, you know, their own beasts. But Can-Am is now making a comeback in the two-wheeler space with actual motorcycles, but they're doing it electric. And so they're going to be all electric motorcycles, and they've just unveiled their first two models. One is sort of a dual sport bike, um, and it's more, um, you know, designed for, for taking on light recreational trails, not something you'd be doing crazy jumps on. But um, something that you could take out and, you know, have fun in your backyard or on the local trails. And the other is a, um, what they're saying, highway capable light electric motorcycle. So something that's probably going to compete with like the Zero FXE, where they haven't uh, listed a a top speed, but it's probably going to be somewhere in like the 70 mile an hour or 120 kilometer per hour range to make sure it can get on highways, but really be more of like a suburban commuter type electric motorcycle, something... um, you know, again, similar to the the FXE from Zero, perhaps the Metacycle from Saunders, um, those those types of bikes. We also don't have a price range yet, but because these are going to be fairly low power, you know, probably something in the 15, 20 kilowatt range, they're just not going to be too terribly expensive. This isn't going to compete with like a, you know, $20,000 Livewire 1 kind of thing. Ideally, this is hopefully going to fall in the $10,000, $13,000 range, if not lower. Yeah, I mean they they look certainly look good. Um, I guess the question w- is like, you know, where do they carve out their niche um, in relation to what's out there right now? Like, uh, 
cost wise they'll they'll fall somewhere between um zeros you said fxe on the high side and maybe um you know the the lower end stuff like saunders and uh we've seen some other stuff uh yeah i mean i hope that they're you know south of the fxe which i think is like eleven and a half thousand dollars these days i have to check again what the prices are at but um you know hopefully it's below there though we really don't know what to expect because i mean can-am hasn't built motorcycles in in decades so is this is this the actual same brand or did another company kind of resurrect you know the the brand uh well it's the same brand but it's been bought by um brp bombardier uh, recreational products i think is the acronym Uh, um most people know from their planes and such but um you know they they own uh, a few different brands Um, they also bought um the uh ip from um oh shoot the name's escaping me now what's that um electric dirt bike company that that shut down a few years ago so it's an a uh oh i know what you're talking about wow Uh, okay uh, sorry how embarrassing that it's escaped us we're having a moment right now (laughs) but um so they, they bought up the ip and it's unclear how much of it actually went into um these two bikes but it's quite possible that a significant amount of the design especially for the um electric motor likely went into these bikes. So, um, you know, they're starting with a, a good foundation and obviously with the Can-Am name. Uh, Is it Alta? It Alta, yes. Thank okay, you. good. Wow, okay. It's um, just FYI, people, we're doing this at six in the morning. So yeah, we're both coffee's still kicking in. <laughs> um, uh, so I also noticed uh, it says Rotax um, motor on, or EMP. What is, is that? Because I know uh, flying airplanes, there's Rotax motors on some airplanes and you mentioned BMP does uh, airplane stuff. Is that the same company? Yeah. So I believe they're working with Rotax on uh, the powertrain there. So um, it's a sort of combination of technologies here and both of the bikes will share the same uh, Rotax powertrain. Apparently we don't have a lot of details about it yet. You know, we don't really know any um, real tech specs, but they have said that they'll share that powertrain. That's interesting because Rotax makes like some of the most efficient uh, internal combustion uh, airplane motors. Um, you know, if you're going to get a, a light electric airplane and still use gas, um, it's kind of the brand, the brand to go to. They're very efficient. So it's interesting to see that name on an electric powertrain. I wonder if they're also working on electric airplane stuff. That will be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, we'll absolutely. To, we have to keep an eye on that. All right, let's. Keep it going here. Kawasaki expected to unveil two lower cost electric motorcycles for the U.S. later this year. So we heard last year a pledge from Kawasaki's CEO that the company would unveil three electric motorcycles. Uh, I think they described them as three electric two wheelers this year in 2022. So we've already had the first one, which unfortunately was a child's balance bike. Hmm. Um, So technically fulfilled the definition of electric two-wheeler, but didn't quite fulfill the spirit of what we were expecting. So there are two left. And we have recently discovered, um, with the help of Motorcycle.com, the VIN number filing for two upcoming Kawasaki electric motorcycles in the US. So this is the big clue of, of what's coming. And these are going to be um, fairly low power, again, sort of commuter spec electric motorcycles, 
So we're talking about like 11 kilowatts, 15 horsepower, something that's designed to get, you know, to minimum highway speeds, but really be more of like a commute around the city and suburbs type of bike. We don't know exactly what they're going to be. Um, you know, we're not expecting some like, you know, powerful Kawasaki Ninja type setup, but um, we do think that they're going to compete fairly well with this um, sort of um, nascent light electric motorcycle market that we're seeing. Things like the Metacycle, things like the uh, Rivet Anthem that were unveiled just a month ago, the Coulter ES1. All of these are bikes that are designed to get up to about 75, 80 miles an hour or so and basically achieve minimum highway requirements for being able to you know, have your choice of roads, that it's not like the CSC city slicker that we've tested before. That's a 45 mile an hour electric motorcycle and is quite limiting. These would all be, you know, you can ride anywhere that, that you want to ride in a city or on a highway. And so um, we're expecting these to be unveiled at the Milan motorcycle show, uh, ICMA this, I believe it's November. Um, and we'll hopefully be there in person to, to see that happen. So at this time we don't have a lot of specs yet, but we do know that these two bikes are coming and, if they're going to meet their 2022 deadline, then that's basically the show that the, they're going to want to unveil them at. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously Kawasaki has a, a long history of creating kind of iconic bikes. Do we know if they're going to use, um, so we know that there's VIN numbers um, and that kind of points to uh, the smaller size of the, the, the bike spectrum. But do we know if they're going to use, um, you know, any particular size motor or any particular size battery? Um, I know there was some talk of Kawasaki using like Gogoro's battery thing. Yeah, we don't, we have a little bit of info on the motors. Um, they're, they're listed in the um, NHTSA filings as 11 kilowatts, but we don't know really anything about the batteries. And uh, you're right that Kawasaki is part of a consortium of Japanese uh, motorcycle manufacturers that are basically adopting the Honda swappable batteries. That's right. Which yep. They kind of look like blue Gogoro batteries, if we're being honest. Right. And um, it's it's possible those would be used on this bike. Um, I'm I'm kind of doubting it because I think those are somewhere around 1.3 to 1.5 kilowatt hours each, and I don't think you could build these bikes with anything under four to five kilowatt hours of battery. Meaning you'd need at least three, maybe four of those swappable batteries, and that's yeah, a lot of batteries to juggle. Right. So this is a little bit bigger than that spec. Yeah, like, I mean, if you look at something like the the Saunders Metacycle, they have a removable battery, and it is like a pretty big chunk of, of battery there. It's supposed to be like 50 pounds, and it's like a cooler kind of thing. Yeah, you kind of need wheels for something like that. Yeah, and then there's the Rivet Anthem, which actually has wheels built right. into its battery. So it, it could be that these come with swappable batteries, or at least, you know, removable for charging. But I think at that point, they'd have to design their own because those um, sort of Gogoro style Honda batteries, I don't think are going to cut it on something like this. I think those are pretty much meant for scooters. Yeah. Well, maybe they need to make a new spec or something where uh, they have bigger bigger batteries or something. I mean, we've seen um, some scooters like the those ones that we, uh, the UNU ones that we drove around uh, Munich. Those were bigger. Uh, but I don't know what there were like two or three in the, in those scooters. I guess you could do something like that. Yeah. And those scooters were, I think, um, 
like 45, 50 kilometer an hour. So about 30 mile an hour scooters. So, right. you know, Not they can close get to this thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, switching gears. Uh, we're going to finish it off with, uh, I tested a Wakes Epic 37 mile per hour electric surfboard and survived. Here's how it went with video. I had so much fun doing this. Oh, man, this is a, like another entry in the I can't believe this is my job diaries <laughs> because I got to ride these these boards. There's actually three in the lineup. Um, they've got sort of their beginner electric surfboard, which still does like over 30 miles an hour, um, but it's a little more stable. They've got their more like nimble one, and then they've got an electric hydrofoil board that rides out of the water. So um, I got to to head out there and test these boards out. I can tell you that the the beginner one is, as you might have guessed, how you'd want to start because that was the easiest one for me to get up on. Uh, I've only ridden electric surfboards twice in my life. And so having like a little bit of experience helped, but I was able to hop up on the first try and, you know, I was a bit shaky, but within like a half hour, like I really felt like I could do it. You know, I was falling not very often. I think I, you know, wiped out maybe five or six times over 45 minutes or so, which isn't that bad in my opinion as a, as a beginner. Um, but also it kind of speaks to this cool, like electric surfing water sport that like of all the different electric things that I ride, I, I generally am very conservative on those other things. So motorcycles, bikes, scooters, you know, like I really don't want to crash because the cost of failure is pretty high, but with an electric surfboard, you can just push as hard as you want because if you crash, you just get like a face full of water and it's, it's not really that bad. <laughs> Uh, 30 miles per hour though that that's a lot of water yeah so i was probably doing in like the low 20s i never got up to like the the max speed of of 37 miles an hour um the dude on the left there that's their professional rider flow and he'll ride these things as fast as possible um and he'll also do like crazy jumps so they'll go behind boats and they'll ramp off of the wake and he's gotten like two three meters in the air you know like almost 10 oh, feet gosh. in the air um, and he'll wear a helmet when he does those kinds of jumps, which is it's kind of funny to see him out on like a, a surfboard with a helmet. Right. But uh, it's I mean, it's crazy what these things can do. Um, they're they're fairly lightweight, you know, carbon fiber. They're very powerful. Uh, they're also very expensive because of that. I think they start at something like twelve and a half, thirteen thousand dollars. So it's not a uh, a poor man's sport. But mm -hmm. if you can afford it, like you got to ride the lightning because that stuff is so much fun. And and like theoretically, these could be used for transportation. Like, uh, you know, you live on an island or a or or a peninsula, and you need to get to the other side. Uh, you could theoretically ride one of these over. <clears throat> Yeah, I was um, in one of the first articles where I covered these, uh, when one of the first boards was launched, I had like some little joke about, you know, I wish that it was possible to use these for a commute. And someone commented like this would actually work for my commute, my commute, like I live down the canal from you know where I work. And so it's funny that there are people out there that could actually get to work this way. Yeah, uh, you know, I always think like, uh, you know, we live on the Hudson River about uh, 25 miles north of New York City. And it's always nightmare to get down and, you know, obviously we can take the train, but like, it would be kind of fun to take something down the Hudson River, although I don't necessarily want to fall in the Hudson River and <laughs> have to get some shots. Uh, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the um, choosing the right, you know, location to uh, to use these things would be important. I was doing this in Stockholm and it was actually quite nice because the water there is brackish and not very salty. It's like on the fresher end of the brackish spectrum, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so like 
even when you wipe out, it's like you don't get like your eyes full of, you know, salty water. It's just like a little bit salty. There's a um, there's an awake dealer actually in Israel that I need to go meet up with and try again, especially on this hydrofoil board because I want to get better at it. But in the Mediterranean, it's quite salty. So uh, it's not going to be quite as fun when you face plant. Right. Uh, yeah. So um, the hydrofoil one, did you get to try that one at all? Yeah, I did. So this is me hopping on it now. Um, it okay. was freezing. So they put me in this wetsuit because I started getting hypothermic. I had just like, I got Purple those uncontrollable lips. shakes. Yeah. Right. Like I just couldn't stop like vibrating. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they put me in a, uh, in a wetsuit, which is very nice of them. But uh, the, the hydrofoil board, it was so much harder than the like beginner board because right when you start to like get up on it, all uh-huh. of a sudden it's like you're riding on a post, you know, it's like when you're balancing a broomstick yeah. on your hand or something. Right. And it's a totally different kind of balancing. And so uh-huh. while I took to the surfboard very quickly, cause it kind of felt like a skateboard, right. this one, it seems to, it takes more time for your brain to sort of like calibrate to a new style of balancing. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I tried and I kept falling and I'd get up and I'd fall and, and it was fun, but uh, I mostly ro- rode it around on my knees because when I was like down low on it, I found it easier to balance. And so I could go around for, you know, a, a good while on my knees while riding out of the water, but eventually like I would try and stand up and inevitably I'd just fall again. Yeah, they gotta they gotta work on on uh making that easier, I guess. Um maybe they should talk to Candela across the bay or whatever. They could yeah. be uh, the hydrofoil experts all over the yeah, place. Yeah. Once this is one where I thought I had it and then nope. Face <laughs> <laughs> plan right in the water. Yeah, it's rough. But uh I mean, you know, like I said, it's it's an easy way to fail and then get back up and try again. Right not like you're hitting the pavement all right uh let's see if we have some comments here um uh all right we're talking about the uh, three-wheel um uh ad motor here yeah. tim Le- tim libier says safe to say that plus a grocery getter it's a good point uh three-wheel would be fantastic for picking up groceries <clears throat> So why is spending money on the anti-inflation bill a good thing? Uh, well, I think, you know, if, if I go down this uh, rabbit hole of conversation here, um, there's some talk about how uh, government subsidies kind of spoil things. And, and in some ways it does. Like, you know, we're kind of in a mess right now in the U.S. with uh, education spending. Like education costs have gone crazy because the government has sort of subsidized uh, the cost of education a little bit, um, which, you know, I think they probably should a little bit, but um, the, you know, the point is that if you, if you subsidize it, then prices go up because companies know that you can pay more. I think the, the e-bike space right now is so competitive though, that if, if, if one brand goes up in price, there's like 10 other brands that'll come in, come in lower. Um, what's your thoughts on subsidies causing uh, money, causing prices to go up? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head that like, even if e-bike companies wanted to sort of collude and they all say, all right, let's increase our prices now that there's, you know, subsidies, there's just too many to effectively collude. And the few that would want to stay low to get the rest of the business would basically prevent any other companies from doing that. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of the the idea there. He also uses grain grain oil iron coal i don't know too much about those industries hopefully they're all dying uh well the the coal part and oil 
uh, green and green and iron, I'm sure are going to be around for a while. You'll allow those. Um, all right. Well, that's, that's it for the, the comments. I know it's pretty early, so we probably didn't get too many <clears throat> Americans at 644, but you gonna take us out. Sure thing. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we'll be back in two weeks for another edition of the Wheelie Podcast, and we'll see you then.